the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Thank you, Ben, for that reading of Scripture and capturing the spirit of Psalm 150. Appreciate that. It's so good to be together and to be reminded, to remind one another that the truths we celebrated last Sunday on Easter are still just as true today. The truth that Christ is risen from the dead and that we might have new life through faith in him is still just as true. We are still Easter people as followers of Jesus. We have to keep reminding ourselves and one another of that life-transforming truth. We have to keep reinforcing it because there will be days when doubts will creep in. Doubts that make our faith difficult to keep in perspective. And we see from this morning's gospel reading that this is nothing new. Just as we heard from the account of John, that on that first Easter, or shortly after that first Easter, when there were were eyewitness accounts left and right, there were also doubts beginning to be seated. Now, we don't know why Thomas wasn't there that day, that the rest of the disciples were gathered, gathered fearful and huddled behind locked doors, we're told. There's certainly nothing to suggest that Thomas was missing because of any lack of faith or lack of depth in his commitment. He just wasn't there, perhaps running an errand. But when Thomas heard the report that seemed too good to be true, well, he, he thought it just seemed too good to be true. He couldn't quite buy it. He told his friends, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Then a week later, Jesus came among them and spoke directly to Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now back in the day when when Thomas and the other disciples had been following Jesus all throughout Judea and Galilee, Thomas had a nickname. You heard it in the scripture. It said Thomas called Didymus, which is simply Greek for twin. So Thomas was a twin. We don't know anything about his twin brother or sister. We don't know why that person didn't seemed to be following Jesus, but that was the nickname, the moniker that, that Thomas had. They called him the, the twin. But these days, when we hear the name Thomas, we don't think of the twin. We probably more commonly think of doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas, this phrase that's never, ever used positively. Don't be such a doubting Thomas. Maybe you've heard someone tell you or you've said to someone and often in the context beyond, way beyond the Christian faith, he became a symbol of doubt. And indeed, we see that Jesus confronts Thomas directly about his doubts. Stop doubting and believe, or stop disbelieving and believe, he tells him. But as we read somewhat between the lines, we also hear in this conversation between Jesus and Thomas I think a degree of patience, even an attitude of acceptance in Jesus. Because instead of 
just scolding and berating Thomas over the fact that he ever doubted at all. He actually presents to Thomas an opportunity to do exactly what Thomas had said he needed in order to believe. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Now, there's no indication in the text that Thomas took Jesus up on that offer. We, we almost picture him uh, stepping back in awe and wonder as he moves from being doubting Thomas to worshiping Thomas, saying, my God, my Lord, probably kneeling at Jesus' feet. And with that outburst, Thomas becomes perhaps the very first person to declare that this risen Jesus is God himself. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those, happy are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now the group of people that Jesus is naming there, people who haven't seen him and yet believe in him, That would have been a relatively small number at that point. People had heard about Jesus and come to faith in him, but mostly it was through their encounters with Christ that they came to believe his claims and put their faith in him. But that number of those who have believed without seeing has has grown ever since that day. Since the day Jesus ascended into heaven, really everyone who places his or her faith in Christ does so without the benefit of seeing him in person. There have been encounters like those of of Paul, who is then called Saul, who encountered the risen Jesus on his way to Damascus as Jesus spoke to him from a blinding light. We know there are those whose testimonies even these days include Jesus coming to them, speaking to them in a dream or a vision. But since the earliest days of the church, coming to faith has meant believing in someone, trusting in someone, worshiping someone whom we have never seen in flesh and blood. We don't have the benefit that those early disciples did to encounter Christ before and after his resurrection in flesh and bone. But here's what Jesus says about all of us who choose to do that. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And I think the implication here is you believe because you see me, but even more blessed, even happier are those who do so without the benefit of sight. Jesus welcomes Thomas. He provides him all his needed proofs for belief. He schools him a bit away from doubt and into true faith and then tells Thomas essentially, you know, Thomas, you missed an opportunity You could have believed without seeing me. And this is the opportunity that we continue to have today. It's a challenge, this idea of belief without sight, but it's also an opportunity. I think the challenge for Thomas that day wasn't even so much to believe his friends who were telling him what had happened, but to believe and trust in what Jesus had already told him. Because maybe he thought his friends were suffering from some sort of group delusion or wishful groupthink. Maybe Thomas just felt that he would be too vulnerable to to disastrous disappointment and dismay if it turned out that his hopes weren't true, that Jesus wasn't in fact alive. We don't know why Thomas 
put physical, visual, tactile proof as the non-negotiable condition for his belief. We just know that even though he had heard Jesus say that he would rise from the dead, even though he had 10 friends telling him that in fact Jesus had, Thomas wasn't quite ready to buy it. As Christians, our faith is all about belief without sight. It's not about a 100% doubt-free existence, but, but it's about saying, though I have not seen Jesus or touched him for myself, I still believe. Now, we do see evidence in our lives, in the world, in the lives of people around us. We see evidence of God's grace and faithfulness all the time if we're attentive enough and patient enough to look. But we don't see God himself. We don't see Jesus. This is part of what will be happening this morning, part of the truth we're celebrating as we baptize shortly three of our younger friends as we gather in worship today. None of them has seen Jesus in the flesh. And yet they will be asked, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and choose to live as his, as his faithful disciple? And their answer of I do gives evidence of their faith and evidence of the grace of God powerfully at work in their lives to grant that gift of faith. This dual truth lies at the heart of the sacraments, both baptism and communion. There are things we do as believers. We publicly and in a physical way declare our faith as we gather at the table and at the font and pool. But we point to the grace of God that welcomes us and opens the way to the table, the font, and the pool. We take action by, by receiving the elements at communion, by eating and drinking. We take action by baptizing infants in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and by baptizing by immersion those who confess their faith publicly in Jesus Christ. In the sacraments, we do things that point to what God has done, to what God is doing, and what we trust and believe by faith God will continue to do. One way the church has said this is to define the sacraments as tangible, outward, visible signs of invisible and eternal truths. Both the table of the Lord's Supper and the waters of baptism remind us that our faith is meant to be visibly and physically lived out. And that that same faith is a gift of God that impels us, that compels us toward worshiping God as the giver of every good gift. Neither communion nor baptism are the means of salvation, but both of them point to the truth that God freely and graciously bestows salvation on all those who come to him through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Both of them point to the generous, extravagant grace of God and to the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. Just as salvation is a gift from God alone, so is the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And it's the sacrament of baptism that speaks most directly to that gift and to the work and power of God's Spirit. As infants are baptized, we declare that God's Holy Spirit is already at work in the lives of the littlest ones among us. That their very lives are precious gifts, that God's grace is already at work, opening the way for the day, that that little child will say yes to the gift of new life in Jesus. 
And as disciples of Jesus enter the baptismal pool, they give witness to the fact that their lives are saturated with the Spirit's presence and work. Not that they have achieved perfection by any means, but declaring publicly that their lives have been made new because of Jesus Christ and because of the ongoing work of God's Spirit. We can't reach out and touch Jesus as Thomas was invited to do. But in the sacraments, we tangibly encounter the body and blood of Jesus at the table, the Holy Spirit in the waters of baptism. In Christ, we are made new creations, rescued from sin and death and brought alive by the blood of Jesus and by the resurrecting power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul declares in Romans 8, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And what we do in the pool of baptism points directly to these truths. As someone goes under the water, he or she is identified with the death of Jesus Christ, united with Christ in that burial but we don't leave them underwater. They come back out, and in that moment, they are identified with the resurrected Christ who didn't stay in the tomb. All of this happens in the context, in the environment of water, which throughout Scripture represents the permeating, saturating presence and work of God's Holy Spirit. This is what we celebrate with those being baptized today. This was part of our own baptisms, those of us who were baptized as infants at the font or, or in the pool. In a few weeks, we're going to have an opportunity to reflect more deeply on our own baptisms, to recall the work of God's Spirit leading up to and into that moment, to remember the vows taken in those sacred moments, and to affirm both our faith in God and the ongoing grace and work of God. So often it's tangible moments like, like those today as we gather as a church at the pool. Through moments that will happen in the upcoming service as we have an opportunity to affirm our baptism vows. These moments where we can see things that help us, help us push through our lingering doubts into a place of firmer belief even though we don't see Jesus in front of us. Belief without sight is our, our daily challenge, our daily opportunity as Christians, as disciples of Jesus. We don't get baptized every day. Most of us don't come to the Lord's table every day. And yet every day we have an opportunity to live as if we are people who truly believe that those things that can't be seen or touched are every bit as real as those things that can be. 
We have an opportunity every day to turn to Jesus, whom we can't see, and declare and worship my Lord and my God. We have an opportunity to live as people whose allegiance and devotion has been claimed by a heavenly kingdom, a kingdom whose king once walked this earth, who will someday walk the earth again, but for now, in this time, cannot be seen, except with the eyes of faith. We have the opportunity as followers of Jesus today to allow God, to ask God, to squeeze us so that God's spirit that saturates, that permeates our lives, leaks out, gushes out, gushes out in ways that make a difference in our world, that impact the people around us, that help us be agents of God's kingdom until Christ comes again. May God strengthen our faith today and find us faithful in the days ahead. Please join me in prayer. Jesus, Messiah, Christ, risen Lord and Savior, we praise you and worship you today, declaring my Lord, my God. Like Thomas, we call out to you with our praises and our worship. Lord, forgive us for times when we have been more demanding of evidence to ease and erase our doubts than we've been attentive to what your spirit is already doing in us and around us. Father, would you bless and guide us as your children and as disciples of your son. Would you flood us anew with the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.